everyone, and welcome to Celebrating 60-something. I have to be honest, it's been a really tough week for me, and I'm just now getting around to doing the podcast. It's really not a good idea to release a podcast on a Friday, but I'm going to do it anyway because I promised I would get a podcast out this week. But let me tell you a little bit about my week. It's been really hard for me, but I've tried to focus on the big rocks, if you know what I mean. You've heard the analogy about taking a jar, and if you put the big rocks in first, meaning the things that are truly most important, maybe not the things that demand the most attention, but the things that truly matter. If you put those rocks in first, then you can fit all the other stuff that you need to do in and around and between those rocks. But if you put the small rocks and the sand and the pebbles and the dirt in first, then you're never going to get the big rocks in. So I really tried this week to focus on filling my jar with the things that matter most. And everything is finally falling into place. And it just seems like things always work out when you do that. Now, my podcast may be a little late, like I said, but the things that really mattered got done. And that makes me happy. Well, what about you? What really matters to you? Is it money? Is it time? Is it a career? Or is it something more meaningful like relationships and family and friends? Well, tonight we're going to focus on Christmas stories about families. The first one I'm going to share with you is my husband's simple little story that took place over 60 years ago. Now, for those of you who know my husband, you know that he's a great storyteller, and he always has a story. No matter how the conversation goes, he's going to have a story that's going to fit in with that conversation, and he loves to tell stories. This is just a little one that happened a long, long time ago that he just recalls every now and again and mentions it to me. He wrote it out for me, so I'm just going to read it. October 4, 1959, more than 60 years ago, the steel plant where my dad worked went on strike. By the end of November, our family was really feeling the pain from no paychecks. I remember for the first time seeing my mom cry as they decided which bills to pay and hearing her say, we won't be able to do anything for Christmas. So about this time of the month, in December of that year, my dad decided that we would go and cut a tree for Christmas. Now we didn't have money for a tree permit, which would have allowed us a beautiful pine tree. So we planned to cut a cedar tree, also known as a Rocky Mountain juniper, because you could cut those for free, anytime. We loaded up the old travel all with shovels and axe, the family dog and a couple of guns, and headed out around the lake to find the perfect cedar tree. All along the way, we sang Christmas songs. When the truck stopped, we scattered across the face of the mountain in deep snow in search of the perfect cedar tree. Finding a perfect tree is not that easy because cedars usually have two tops to them. The entire day with the family was magical, and I will always remember it. But the magic continued. Since we didn't have any money, we went ice skating on the lake and sleigh riding. We made candy and popped popcorn and strung it around the tree. That year, we started many Christmas traditions that stayed with our family for many, many years. That will always be one of my best Christmases because we got the best gift, that being time and attention from the people we loved the most, mom, dad, and brothers and sisters. A spiritual giant and religious leader, Thomas Monson, said, the spirit of Christmas is the spirit of love and of generosity and of goodness. It illuminates the picture window of the soul, and we look out upon the world's busy life and become more interested in people than in things. 
That was our family's experience during the Christmas of 1959. More than things, we became more interested in family. Whatever our circumstances, we can reach out in love to each other, especially our own family members. Buying a present for someone is easy, but being present for someone is almost always more meaningful. Look around you for those who may be forgotten or lonely. More than a gift card, they need you. Your kindness, your concern, your kind-hearted inclusion, and your time. These are the greatest and most meaningful gifts at Christmas time. Now that was just a simple little story, but I have known my husband since we were both 13 years old. And for all the years I've known him until his parents got really old, they always had a cedar tree at Christmas time. They could have had a pine tree. They could have had a beautiful tree. But they chose a cedar tree. And you know what? It was beautiful. They flocked it and they put angel ornaments on it. And it became a real family tradition to have a cedar tree. And a lot of other things they did that Christmas of 1959 became lifelong traditions as well. Okay, this next little story is called A Christmas Present Delayed. It starts with a quote by Amy Lee. Having a sister is like having a best friend you can't get rid of. You know, whatever you do, they'll still be there. I was 10 the summer my dad helped me buy my first 10-speed bicycle from Father Allen. I put up $60 of my grass cutting and snow shoveling money, and my dad put up the other half. I would pay him back in installments over the next six months. Although it was the kind of bike you'd expect a priest to have, dull silver, slightly worn, no baseball cards in the spokes, it was my ticket to the adult world. I spent that summer and autumn riding as if to put Greg LeMond to shame. My sister Liz, a prisoner of her five-speed and banana seat, never had a chance to keep up. We'd always been stuck with hand-me-downs from our older brothers and sisters, a few of whom had notoriously bad taste in bikes. Now, however, I was able to ride to every corner of town, sometimes even as far as the beach. In those heady days before one acquires a driver's license, a good bike is a magic carpet. Just before the Christmas deadline to pay my dad back, we were hit with several snowstorms. This allowed me to shovel enough driveways to pay off my debt. I was now officially a bike owner. It was a feeling unlike any other. It's important to note that while my mom and dad were fantastic parents, they couldn't be trusted with the awesome responsibility of buying appropriate Christmas presents. They were too quick to pass off gloves, sneakers, and shirts as presents. And while we might say a prayer over the baby Jesus in the manger on our way to church, he seemed too busy at this time of year to leave presents under the tree. We outsourced our requests for the really good presents to Santa. For her family of seven kids, my mom developed a system in which she decorated the outside of seven large boxes with different types of wallpaper. We each had our own box that contained six or so presents and we'd close our eyes and reach in to grab one when it was our turn. This cut down on hours of wrapping and satisfied my dad's naval sense of order. The downsize was we opened one present at a time so everyone could appreciate each other's gifts. Neither Liz nor I appreciated this system because we went last. After the obligatory oohs and ahs, each of us held up our present for family review, a process that averaged about five minutes or so. This meant Liz and I had to wait about 45 minutes between each present, so patience was in short supply. When one of us pulled out a belt or a package of underwear, we seethed the entire time. My dad, a master showman, liked to keep a few of Santa's better presents for the end. 
On that fateful Christmas morning, he gave me a used portable record player. I was ecstatic. I was finally untethered from the family stereo that all of us fought over. Alas, my elation was short-lived after my dad called my sister to the kitchen. We have one more gift for you, he said as he opened the door that led to the garage. There on the steps stood a brand new 10-speed Schwinn. I didn't hear her screams of joy. All I could hear was the sputtering engine of the lawnmower, the endless scraping of the metal snow shovel on concrete. I'd endured far too many hours of indentured servitude for my used bike. That Santa could give Liz this sparkling machine less than a week later was a sign that he was losing his touch. Could Mrs. Claus be putting something in his food? I slumped onto the floor. My 10-speed chariot had turned into a pumpkin in the time it took my sister to hop on the gleaming leather seat. Let's go for a ride, Rob, she sang, my dad holding the bike upright as she put her feet on the pedals. Too snowy to ride, I muttered, pushing the record player further away from me. The symbolism seemed lost on my dad. I seethed for the rest of the day, then the rest of the week. My dad was not someone to whom we complained about presents, not if we ever wanted to see another one anyway. Santa always seemed to lose interest after Christmas, rarely accepting returns or trade-ins. That left the baby Jesus, but he wasn't answering my prayers. I could tell because Liz's bike had yet to crumble into a pile of rust flakes. After a few weeks of watching me pout, my dad finally pulled me aside. Everything okay? It's not fair, I whined. I worked so hard for my bike and it's not even new. Then Liz gets a brand new bike as soon as I make the final payment. She didn't have to do anything for it. My dad smiled. She didn't have to do anything for it because it's not really for her, he said, and then left the room. What did that mean? I didn't want her bike. It had the ugly girly bar that sloped down to the ground and a flowery white basket on the handlebars. I could turn it in for a new set of action figures, I figured, but she'd been on it every day since Christmas. No way they'd let me take it back now. I eventually got over it, chalking it up to elf error. The naughty and nice list can be so cumbersome. By spring, Liz and I were riding all over town together now that she could keep up. Sure, I'd lose her on the steep slopes, but I always let her catch up when we went downhill. Initially, the youngest children in a large family form a bond out of necessity. Older siblings can be taxing, and there are only so many locked doors one can hide behind. Sometimes you need someone else in the foxhole with you. As we grew, Liz and I became true friends. We biked down to swim at the local pool, then put in seven miles to take the free town tennis lessons together. We planned secret parties when my parents went on trips and played a game of who can leave less gas in the tank when we finally got our driver's licenses. I relied on her to put names to faces when we were at parties and she treated my best friends as her personal dating service. We ended up at the same college and even graduated the same year. Still, I wasn't smart enough to figure out what my dad meant until years later. That brand new bike was not a gift for Liz. It was a gift for me. He'd given me the gift of my sister's company, the ability to stay together rather than drift apart in the face of my ability to travel. He gave me my best friend. It's a gift I've treasured every day since. Isn't that a sweet little story? That was written by Robert F. Walsh, and it was sent in by Joanne Bachman of Denton, North Carolina. Thank you, Joanne. Okay, you know, I think I'm going to throw in an extra story today. I was going to end with another Glenn Rawson story, which we still will, but I'm going to put another story in before it. 
I said that our theme tonight was sort of centered around families, but even though this story isn't about a family, it has a really sweet message, and I just came across it a little bit ago and thought it would be fun to read it. It is in a little book called Christmas in My Heart, and this story is written by Seth Parker. I don't suppose you ever knew Esau Tinker, but he was a tall, gawky feller and owned the general store down at the corners. He was a real nice gentleman, as gentlemen go, but apt to be a little noisy and quite a gallivanter. Didn't have any use for religion. The parson would try and talk with Esau, and so would the deacons, but it wasn't any use. Nobody could ever seem to quite get inside his skin. Well, one year, just before Christmas, Esau was up in the garret looking for some of last year's bread and green paper and tinsel, and he came across an old newspaper, most 20 years old. He picked it up and read it over, and it tickled his funny bones so that he brought it down to the store and put it on the counter among the Christmas supplies where folks could see it. They'd come to do their shopping and look over the toys and the chocolate Santa Clauses and the likes of that, and then they'd spy the paper. Thinking it was the last edition, they'd pick it up and sometimes scan it over quite a spell before they'd catch on to its being an old one. Esau, he'd just sit back and watch him, and when they caught on, wouldn't he laugh. Now Esau kept the paper there for quite a few days, and most of the folks in town had been in buying presents and had been fooled, and so the novelty was kind of wearing off when Esau chanced to look out the window and he saw old Hitch Thomas coming along in his old peg leg. The old gentleman lived about two miles out of town in a little shack way back in the woods, and he didn't come in to do any buying except about every five or six months, but I imagine he knew about it's being Christmas and that everybody was doing some shopping and selling. As he didn't have anybody to give presents to, he reckoned that he might as well come in and buy himself some beans and flour and at least have the fun of doing something for the holidays. He was just one of those poor unfortunates who ain't necessary to nobody else, and so the folks in town had just come to look on him as an outsider. And Christmas time to an outsider can be the lonesomest time of the year. Well, when Esau saw him headed for the store, he tipped the boys off not to say a word about the paper, and while Old Hitch was stocking up on vittles, he chanced to look at the paper, picked it up and read it real serious, and seemed to puzzle a mite, and then he laid it down again, and when his vittles was wrapped up, he paid for them and went out without saying a word. The boys laughed fit to kill because Old Hitch hadn't even caught on that it was an old paper. Well, a couple of days later, the day before Christmas to be exact, when Esau was opening up the store about six in the morning, he looked down the road and there was old Hitch swinging along on his wooden leg and tucked under his arm was a crutch. Hitch has had a leg of timber ever since anybody in these parts knew him and Esau wondered what he was carrying a crutch under his arm for unless it was to use like a spare tire if the leg gave out on him. But he didn't think any more about it and went on tending the store. That night, though, along about nine, as he was closing up, he looked down the road again, and there, plugging along through the snow and making pretty poor headway, was old Hitch Thomas. He was whistling happy as a lark, but Esau thought he was walking kind of funny, and when he got nearer, he could see why. Hitch only had one leg and was swinging himself along as best he could with the crutch under the off arm. Hello, Hitch, says Esau. What's ailing you? Nothing, says old Hitch, swinging up on his crutch, feeling chip as a cricket. Never felt better in my life. But where's your wooden leg, said Esau? Lost it in the snow? No, says Hitch, I didn't lose it. But you know that paper you had on the counter the other day? Esau allowed that he remembered, so Hitch continued. Well, I was buying the vittles in your place, I took a look at it, and I seen something I couldn't get over. No, sir, I tried my best, but I couldn't. 
What'd you see, said Esau, not quite so comfortable now. I saw that notice in there, says old Hitch, about that little boy who was run over by the jigger wagon and had his leg jammed so bad that they had to cut it off. Then it went on to say how poor the family was and it would be nice if someone could see the little feller got a wooden leg so he could run about and do things. Said he lived almost 12 miles out on the river road in the house that sets back on the bank. Esau made a queer noise with his throat you could have took for anything from yes to coughing. Well, says old Hitch, when I got back home, I commenced thinking about that little feller. See, and I was a boy myself when I lost my leg. I knew how he must be feeling, and as I'm pretty old and have the rheumatitis, anyhow, I can't get around much. I picked up this morning, and I walked out to where the paper said he lived. There weren't anybody to home, and the place looked pretty deserted, but I calculated they must be away for the day somewhere. Anyhow, I took my leg off and had some green and red ribbon with me and tied it to the front door. I reckon he'll be pretty tickled when he comes home, don't you think so? Esau just stood there. He couldn't have said a word if his life had depended on it. He knew the little feller had died years before and the family had moved away a long time ago. He would have cut his tongue out before we'd have told old Hitch, who had walked that day close to 28 miles to give his wooden leg to a little boy on Christmas. Well, says Hitch, swinging himself up upon his crutch again, I guess I'll be getting on. But before he left, he put his hand on Esau's shoulder and said, Esau, I was all alone when I walked over and left my peg leg for him, but on the way back, I ain't been walking alone. No, sir, I ain't been walking alone. And with a wave of his hand and a smile on his face, old Hitch swung off for his little cabin back home in the woods. And as Esau stood there, the tears rolling down his cheeks as he watched the old man swing himself along as best he could on one leg and a wooden crutch, And as he stood there that Christmas Eve, the bells in the church started to ring out the glad tidings, and Esau dropped to his knees to make a Christmas present of his heart to the one who had walked back with old Hitch Thomas. Isn't that a sweet little story? I just thought it was something I'd throw in at the last minute, so I hope you enjoy it. Okay, I am going to end with another Glenn Rawson story from his book, Tell Me the Stories of Christmas. This, too, is another simple, sweet story. It's called A Letter from Dad. And again, it just shows how the smallest things can truly be the greatest gifts. It's Christmas time. And you know, this time of year, our minds are focused so much on the gifts we need to buy for the ones we love. Well, in light of that, may I share something that happened not too long ago. I came home from work after a busy day. I went upstairs and dropped my stuff, and then I noticed on my pillow a note, and it was written on that kind of paper, that, you know, unique kind of paper, that told me it came from my youngest daughter. I opened it up, and sure enough, it was a note from Shana. It said, Dear Daddy, I miss you. I'm having fun here at school. Can I go to Santa's secret workshop? You're gone too much. You're the best daddy in the whole world. Love, Shana. Oh, oh, you talk about a payday. I loved it. I called her to me. I knelt down on her level and thanked her for the wonderful note. When I told her I loved her too, she threw her arms around my neck and just hugged me tight. It was a wonderful and tender moment. Now, a few days later, I was with a group of teenagers. We were chatting casually when, out of genuine curiosity, I asked them, if you could have anything for Christmas and money was not a consideration, what would it be? Well, I have to confess here my shallowness. I expected them to start rambling off these expensive toys that they would like to have. 
And to be honest, a few of them did mention some toys they'd like to have. But many, if not most of them, wanted such things as their family's home for the holidays. They wanted to spend time with their families and share experiences with their loved ones. I was surprised by that. I was impressed by that. One young woman's answer stood out in particular. She's a quiet, pretty young woman. In response to the question, she said, Well, I'd want some money for Christmas, and then I'd want a letter from my dad. Well, the money answer I expected, but the letter from dad? I was taken back by that, and I asked her why she would want that. I mean, I figured of all things that a teenager would want least from her parents, a sentimental letter would be the last thing. Well, she explained that her father, at least once a year, writes her a letter in which he opens his heart and tells her that he loves her. The letters have become a cherished tradition for her. In them, Dad bears testimony, shares the experiences of his own life, and gives her guidance and tells her what he expects from her. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. You mean to tell me of all the things you could have, you would most want a letter from your dad? Yes, she said, and she meant it. You know something? Maybe our loved ones really don't want the gifts that come out of stores this year as much as they want the gifts that come out of the heart, the gifts of memories. Now, as a related thought, it was recently explained to me what WWJD meant. I'd never heard that before. It means, what would Jesus do? Well, may I suggest something new for Christmas this year? How about, what would Jesus give? Merry Christmas to you. Gives you something to think about. Maybe it really is the experiences that are more important than the things. Maybe it really is the time spent together than the hustle and bustle to buy the perfect gift. Maybe it's just doing the simple everyday things, having fun together and enjoying each other's company that bring about the greatest memories. I bet if you think back on your own life, the things that you remember are wonderful, happy experiences and not so much things. Well, unless, of course, you've got a car. I couldn't relate to that. I never got a car. But you know what I'm talking about. But I think that will do us for today. Just a couple of Christmas stories to get you through the next week. Maybe you can pop them on while you're driving in your car, running Christmas errands, or straightening up around the house, or just taking a little rest and putting your feet up. Just listen to a little Christmas story, and I hope it touches your heart and makes a difference in your day. Thank you for stopping by and listening, and don't forget to drop us an email. I say us, but it's really just me. Don't forget to drop me an email. Tell me what you like or what you don't like. Give me some ideas. It would be greatly appreciated. That's it, everyone, and thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Bye.